Digital Marketing Radio, episode 242. What are brand influencers? And does your business need a brand influencer? Digital Marketing Radio with David Bain. Hi, I'm David Bain, and this is Digital Marketing Radio, the show for in-house agency and entrepreneurial marketers who want to stay on top of the latest tools, tactics, and trends shared by today's modern marketing masters. Now, we've all seen influencers on social media share their opinion on different products and services, but how effective really is this as a form of marketing? What precisely do brand influencers do? And does your business actually need a brand influencer? That's the topic for episode 242 of Digital Marketing Radio, where I'm joined by a man who's an authority on helping innovative businesses digitally transform their sales and marketing. He's a fractional CMO and the author of four sales and marketing books, including the recently published HarperCollins book, The Age of Influence. Welcome to DMR, Neil Schaefer. Hey, David, how's it going? Um, very good. Thanks, Neil. Great to have you on board here. So you can find Neil over at neilschafer.com. So, Neil, let's get straight into it. What does a brand influencer do? Yeah, it sounds like an easy topic, but let's sort of unpeel some things about influencer marketing, right? And I think many marketers listening to this, and I've been on a few podcasts where the hosts are like, we, we cringe at the word influencer, influencer marketing, but I'm here to set the record straight. You know, influencer marketing is about leveraging other people to incite word of mouth in social media is really the the best way to look at it. And influencers are people that have social media profiles, but they're also content creators. It's from their content that they yield influence. So instead of looking at influencer marketing as a, let's find someone with a lot of influencers or a lot of followers, reach out to them, pay them a lot of money, and maybe they'll talk about our product. We're going to look at it the other way around. We're going to look at it as who is already talking about us in social media? Who are our, our customers? Uh, are they talking about us in social media? Who are our followers? And are they talking about us in social media? So it's really starting with those that already know, like, and trust the brand and then finding ways to collaborate with them. And it's a, you know, you could say it, it's, you know, part brand advocacy I think what's happened over the last five years is just media influence continues to be democratized. And even in the influencer marketing industry, which I'm not, you know, I don't work for an influencer marketing agency, what have you, I'm very neutral. Uh, Even they said, you know, maybe two, three years ago that below the micro influencer, you you now have a nano influencer. And a nano influencer could have as little as a thousand followers. And a thousand followers on Instagram, I mean, it's not easy to get to. But the idea is that, you know, if at the thousand follower level, these people have influence, then there's a lot more people out there, a lot more your customers, a lot more your followers, perhaps your employees that are already talking about your brand that you collaborate with or that you can activate. And when people are tied to your brand, uh, it's almost like, you know, before they become a a brand, they might already be a brand ambassador, but let's make them a brand influence. In other words, let's bring them into this program to try to strategically leverage their voice and get back to what social media was about. Social media is not, it, it was never paid media. I think marketers are going down a really weird uh, highway of, well, let's just do, you know, social media equals paid media. Um, Social media is originally about inciting word of mouth about your brand. And I don't see any other way to do it than by leveraging other people. And that's where I see the role of influencers and uh, ideally brand influencers, people that are already tied to your brand that can help talk, that you can, like I said, strategically collaborate with 
on content creation, content application, uh, as a sounding board. There's just so many different ways in which they can be leveraged. But that's to give you my to to summarize this long answer. That is my concept of what a, of who a brand influencer is. So you talked about um, nano influencers, a thousand people. You also talked about um, word of mouth marketing, actually, and that was a topic that we covered in episode two hundred and forty one, just the previous episode with JB Clement. So go and have a listen to that if you haven't listened to that already. But um, there must be millions of nano listener nano listeners um nano influencers out there how do you actually define um the ideal brand influencer for your brand well ideally like i said it's someone that already knows your brand and i think this is a mistake and i want to give a shout out to anton there from uh, sam rush how's it going my friend um saw his comment on youtube so uh you know i think the whole idea is that if authenticity rules social media today you want to collaborate with someone who is authentically talking about your brand without you even having to collaborate with them. So for me, the follower count is not as important. Okay, let's say they only have a thousand followers. Maybe your brand account has 5,000 followers. On average, they are probably getting more engagement per post than you are with the way that algorithms work favoring people, but also businesses feel the need like every day, oh, we got to publish, you know, five posts a week and or 10 posts a week. And it over time, what I've seen on almost every business uh, is that their engagement starts to go lower and lower and lower. I, this is obviously profoundly clear on Facebook, but also on other social networks without a doubt because of that need to publish content, even though it may not be the most engaging content. Obviously, people are different and uh, algorithms favor them. So really, it's a matter of taking stock. You know, if I was going to come in as a expert to your company on the marketing side, I'd first want to do an SEO audit. I'd want to do a content audit, right? And I think it's a similar thing. It's not just doing a social media audit, but let's do a brand affinity audit in social media. Who's talking about you? Um, who are your followers? Are your customers in social media? And I know the tool is really only available right now for Shopify, but there is a great free Shopify app called Caro. And maybe this is the secret sauce app and I'm, I'm going to give it away. I'll come up with another one when we get to it. It's a C-A-R-R-O or getcaro.com. And this app uh, will integrate with your email marketing software. It integrates with your Instagram account and it integrates with your Shopify shopping cart. And it will show you just exactly what I'm talking about. Bring in people in your brand affinity. They're on your list. They're, they have past uh, transaction history uh, or they're actually following you on social media. And it will just immediately show you who are the influencers? Who are the brand influencers that are out there that you didn't even realize? And when I did this with one of my clients who's a, a B2C, uh, you know, I, I'd say a beauty uh, product clients, immediately we found two people that had six-figure Instagram followings verified that were actual customers of their product. They directly bought from the company. So this is the exercise that I, you know, I would want everyone to go through. And you may not have a Shopify cart, that's okay. It, it's gonna take you a little while. You know, there are, uh, as marketers, we know that if we have an email address, we can probably use an appending service to find a social media profile. We can, you know, hire people, hire virtual assistants to go through and, and track who these people are. We can, you know, have assistants go through our followers. Uh, and you begin to build a list of people that have say minimum a thousand followers. I mean, it might be different per platform, um, and from there, what's going to happen is, you know, now that they already know you and you reach out to them, you need to have a story, right? Hey, you know, we want to start a program to celebrate our fans. And, you know, we've seen that you've posted about us. 
Um, obviously, you're a customer of us, and we've you know we've we've checked you out on social media, whatever it is. But really, getting that conversation going, and maybe it's saying, hey, we have a new product out. We'd love to just send you you know free product as as you know because you're our customer. And we'd love if you posted about it. If you do, by the way, use this hashtag. So, you know, the, you don't need to necessarily change money, right? But if you have some sort of loyalty program, you could consider this an extension of it. If you have sort of like, and I know that we might have B2B marketers as well, and this applies equally to B2B as it does to B2C. What's going to happen is when you find those 100 or 250 or 500 people, I don't know, and you reach out to all of them, they're not all going to respond, Right. So at the end of the day, it begins to be a sale. You want to convert people and not everybody's going to convert for various reasons. So that's why I think, you know, I would take a broader approach, see who actually engages back, see who is really passionate and really go with those people. And, you know, if that means you're only dealing with nano influencers, you don't have any micro influencers, that's awesome because a few of them can have major impact. Just compare it to your own organic social and then compare it to the amount of money you're spending on advertising and advertising does not incite word of mouth. It has to be from people, right? And it has to be authentic. Nano influencers can become major influencers in the in the future. I mean, I'm sure the famous Neil Schaefer 10 years ago perhaps didn't have quite so many followers as you do nowadays. Yeah, I was that UFO behind me uh, <laughs> uh, back <laughs> flying around trying to look for a place to land. No, um, and that's the idea is that, you know, you want to actually invest in them. If you're able to get your own little army of nano influencers, maybe some are employees, Maybe some are customers, maybe some are followers and, and you know, uh, w- whatever it is, um, I would invest in them, right? And, you know, I, I went, when I was writing the book, I had a chance to meet with uh, a CPG company, a European company that had their APAC headquarters in Singapore. And they said, you know, we, we have a lot of nano influencers that talk about us, but their photos aren't the best. The videos aren't, or maybe the copywriting is not the best. So they were actually investing in training them on how to take better photos, how to take better videos, how to you know do better copywriting, and actually bringing in other influencers from the program that are maybe you know of, of a higher influence level to teach them. And I, I, it's a brilliant idea. Why doesn't every company do this? Because that pays dividends. As these people become more influential, they're already brand influencers. They're already speaking about your brand. It's only going to get you more and more ROI. And you know the same goes with employees. And I think when we talk about B2B influencer marketing, that's where that becomes more important. But, you know, my, my message is invest in people, not in, you know, Facebook shareholders. <laughs> <laughs> so KK Diaz is uh, saying on LinkedIn, this is good stuff, guys. Loving it. Thank you so much for um, leaving a awesome. comment there, KK. Great to have you on board. Uh, Hans is saying on YouTube, what about your employees saying they should be the first one? They should perhaps be the first nano influencers. So, so does this, is this something that can be effective? Is this an appropriate strategy, Neil? And and perhaps is this the only strategy for brands that perhaps are just launching and don't have a a lot of people talking about their brand already in social media? Yeah, well, I think there are two different questions there. As far as the employees go, I mean, absolutely. If you're going to create some sort of influencer program, make it open to everybody. Make it open to employees who maybe want to learn more about social media. Maybe they want to invest in their personal branding. I would... Uh, absolutely become the company that invests in people. And I do think it it reaps dividends. I also like the idea of having one program that includes both employees and external people like customers and fans. Think of the amount of knowledge you're going to get by directly engaging and and talking to your customers and to your fans. Uh, I listened to a, a podcast the other day from the one and only Anne Hanley. 
And she's like, you know, most marketers just never have conversations with their customers. And that's why their messaging is so bad and mm -hmm. so dry and so boring. Um, and this will solve that problem, right? So, you know, think of it as just a new, a new channel, a new way of thinking. I think from that, you know, there's going to be a lot of great relationships made. There's going to be a lot of great content made. There's going to be a lot of great social media engagement. You might get product ideas. Uh, just the benefits are are wonderful. So that that's where I think the employees, and like I said, for B2B companies, what's really interesting is your salespeople are your nano influencers, right? And they can monetize their influence from the bonuses they get, the commissions they get from selling. So when you think about it that way, make them the center, ask them what they need, right? Empower them. And I think really everything I'm talking about here is empowering others to talk about your brand in the easiest, most authentic way possible. And that's really the best way to think about, you know, all of this that I've been talking about. And, you know, I'm sorry, David, what was the, there, there were two points there. One was on the employees. The other was on. On a brand just launching for the first time and perhaps not having yeah. that um, bunch of people talking about them at the moment. Yeah. There's the challenge, right? If social media is about inciting word of mouth, you know, what do you do? And when brands just launch, often you have to spend a lot of money on paid media to get the word out about it. And I, I don't think that's going to change, but a very, very successful tactic that a lot of startups are doing is reaching out to potential influencers. These are not brand influencers because they don't know about you yet, but based on what they're posting, based on their content, they might be interested in what you have to offer. So reach out to them and actually give them product. We'd love if you tried our product. You know, if you post about it, awesome. If you have questions about it, let us know. You know, we're also gonna start an influencer program if that interests you, um, you know, let's have a separate conversation, but first try our product and let us know what you think. And that sort of approach, if you think about advertising spend, now I don't know how expensive your product is and I don't know what shipping you know, costs or if you're a digital product, but that is the best way to, to incite authentic word of mouth is you got to get it out there into the hands of people and you get it out into the hands of people that are frequently talking about the products that they use. And not everyone's going to convert, but some will convert and some are going to become your lifetime influencers for your brand. So is it important to, and indeed possible, to measure the impact of your brand influencers in order to perhaps um, be more targeted with the exact influencers that you use more in the future? Yeah, so, you know, there's different ways of measuring ROI. And this is marketing 101, right? Uh, you know, whenever I ask companies that, well, why would I want to invest in influence? I'm like, well, you know, how do you measure the ROI of your print ads? And they don't have an answer for that. So it, it's a similar thing. Now, there are interesting things you can do. Not every influencer is interested in affiliate marketing where you can actually, and affiliate marketing is a type of influencer marketing, by the way. You're you're tapping into people with digital influence, right? And you're giving them a commission as the compensation. So it's a different, different compensation model, but it's the same idea. So not every, you know, brand influencer wants to make an extra commission. If they did, then obviously you can track them that way. But what you can say is, hey, for your followers, we're going to offer them a, a discount, you know, in the name of the influencer. So anybody who comes through, you know, your followers say, hey, if they want the product, that there's a 30% off coupon code that they can use. And that's another very, very effective way of really measuring the impact. Uh, the other one is now, depending on the platform with Facebook and Instagram, you can have branded partnerships where you can actually, um, you know, uh, amplify their content and see what sort of ROI you get from leveraging their content. But I think really the biggest ROI in all of this is what marketers are finally starting to realize. And I talk about this, and obviously a lot of what we're talking about here, not to, not to do any um, 
plug and, and selfless promotion, but this book called The Age of Influence I wrote. And it's looking at influencers, not just for the purpose of content amplification, but for the purpose of content creation. And I know that when I've worked with influencers in the past, the content that they created was way better than anything the brand was creating, right? And maybe the brand has an in-house team. Maybe the brand works with an agency. Maybe some of you listening work at an agency that is doing brand creatives. But the message now is the ROI of leveraging influencers is as much for the content that they create as it is for the amplification of content that they can they can do. So think about what is the content you're creating, who's making it at what cost, and then compare that with an influencer model. And we know there's a lot of data out there. I mean, just do some Google searches. The ROI of leveraging user-generated content, whether it's in your ads, whether it's in your organic social, whether it's in your shopping cart, whether it's all over your website, I would just transform my brand message into that of my fans, of my influencers. And that, I think, has extreme ROI on many, many different levels. So if you're looking for ROI, start there. If you want to reach out to an influencer, offer them free product and say, you know what? Um, we have a photo shoot coming up. We want to hire you to do our photo shoot. Or we want to get started on TikTok. We want to hire you to do our TikTok video, whatever it is, right? Uh, we want to create a new blog post series. We want to hire you. Or we want to do some webinars. We want to hire you to be the host. That's where the magic happens. And like I said, not every influencer will, will agree to that. But at the end of the day, if they are content creators and that is what is getting them this engagement, that is a magical power that we as marketers should try to tap into. Wonderful advice. Um, I, I've actually done some work for a luxury fashion um, company beforehand as well. And the amount of money spent on uh, influencers and giving away free product and but the value that you get back from that, um, the if you target the right people, um, they'll actually take so much pride in being associated with your brand and doing things like hosting live events or ho hosting online events or even featuring on blog posts as well. Um, challenging sometimes to measure, but um, certainly effective. And, and just because you can't measure it doesn't necessarily mean it's not highly, highly effective. Neil, we can carry on discussing this for a long time, but let's segue to part two of our discussion. It's now time for Neil's thoughts on the state of digital marketing today. So starting off with... Secret software. So Neil, share a lesser known MarTech tool that's bringing you a lot of value at the moment and why that tool is important for you. So well, I already talked about Get Caro, so this is going to be an extra one. Uh, a tool that I really like is a tool called Phrase.io, F-R-A-S-E.io. So we hear a lot about content marketing and AI. And what this tool is, there's a bunch of tools out there like Nicheness, maybe some of you have heard of it. You, they basically can spin, using AI, they can spin ad copy, right? For like, you know, 20 to 50 words. They, they, they can, they're pretty good at, at what it creates. What Phrase does, and there are a few other tools out there. I'm, I'm partial to Phrase. They had an AppSumo, like, you know, ridiculous $69 lifetime plan, no longer available. And it's $49 a month now, still worth it. Because what they do is, you know, we all know that as part of digitally what we do, content is, is a part of it, right? And blog content specifically is a part of it. So what Phrase does is when you type in a keyword, it goes out to the top 20 results on Google at the time, and it starts to analyze them. And what it, what it basically does is it, it says, look, the top 20 ranked uh, blog posts have these keywords in them. It also is using natural language processing. I know it's, it's using some AI. But as you enter your blog post, it's going to say, hey, you know, if you're talking about this subject you want to rank for, you probably want to introduce this topic. 
So it, it's AI, but it's not, you still have to do the work, but it's a really good way of vetting. There's so many uh, marketers that they do their keyword research and they they write about a topic and you want to write about your own opinion and your own perspective, but it never gets ranked. And then when you put it in a phrase, because it can import existing content and give you a score as well, you're not covering the sorts of topics that are being covered in what all the other top search results have. In other words, it's basically standing on the shoulders of giants and saying, hey, for this keyword, Google is recommending content that includes these topics. So you might want to include that as part of your blog. It's the reason why it drives me crazy, I know. It's the reason why there, you'll see a blog post of influencer marketing ROI, for instance. And there's always a paragraph at the top, what is influencer marketing? Now, perhaps they're trying to rank for a featured snippet, but you know, if 15 of the top 20 results on influencer marketing ROI include this topic of what is influencer marketing, you, you normally wouldn't consider including that in your post, you might wanna consider including it. So it's really helped me together, and I know Anton was on before, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of SEMrush, that's my SEO tool, you know, combined with the keyword research and tracking, um, I know that my SEO using phrase.io has definitely been increasing. Um, my my rank tracking score is going up. And for every post I do, I, I just feel like I have a much better chance of actually ranking for it than I did before. So, uh, you know, without keyword research, you're, you're sort of creating content in the blind. I think without using a tool like phrase.io, you're sort of creating content in the blind. You're blogging in the blind. So I highly recommend... Um, there's another one, ClearScope, which I think it might be a little bit uh, better known, but I definitely recommend you look into this new world. It's really going to help you uh, get great content ideas and help you create content that I believe will better rank on the search engines. Wonderful. Okay, phrase.io, ClearScope. I'll certainly look into that. I haven't tried either of them, I'm afraid. But um, let's jump back into LinkedIn. KK Diaz is asking, what is the extent that influencers are used and effective for marketing B2B brands? Any difference at all there? Yeah, think about when you have an event, who you're inviting to speak. They're industry influencers, right? Uh, who And they might be customers. So it's, it's the same concept. But in B2B, the influence isn't on Instagram. The influence may be because they're a blogger or they're very popular on Twitter. They're very popular on Reddit. And it's it's interviewing these people for your podcast, for your blog. It's inviting them to do a webinar with you, right? It's, it's a similar thing. The medium is different. It's even more content-centric than I believe B2C influencer marketing is. And employees, because content becomes so important and you have a B2B, B2B sales force, you have inside sales, of always providing content, this is what we want our salespeople to obviously be equipping our customers, our prospects with this content at every step of the journey. So really, uh, I believe it becomes much more content centric. I believe that sales and marketing need to be very much aligned. You need to get your employees more involved, but the same way of getting customers and industry influencers involved, and it, a lot of it comes down to these events that are very content centric as well. Um, I believe that is the way that companies are very, uh, in, in a savvy way, leveraging influencers in their industries. Well, moving on from something, i.e. phrase, that you currently use to something that you're going to use, that is next on the list. So, Neil, what's one marketing activity or tool that you haven't tried yet, but you want to test soon? Well, I just started using one. I'll, I'll give you two. I just started using one because I launched an online community. It's a, it's a group coaching paid membership community. And I read somewhere that by the end of 2021, I think 45% of B2B brands, it was a, one of my B2B consulting clients, 45% uh, of B2B brands would have an online community. Now, when most marketers think of online communities, they think of Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups. 
You can also try to do something on Slack. Um, there are other, you know, J Jive and there's some old solutions out there. Uh, I'm really excited about this platform that I've invested in that a lot of people are creating communities on called Circle.so. They literally came out of nowhere over the last year. And I, I bring them up because they were founded by people that came out of Teachable. And that's the next uh, software tool that I want to use in really creating a course. Now, even uh, corporate marketers can create courses for their clients to better learn how to leverage their product, for instance. So it's a way of just organizing uh, content using a learning management system that, you know, right now it's primarily being used by course creators. I think that there's a corporate use for it as well. And I'm really excited to uh, to dig into that later on in the year. So Circle.so, um, what's the main difference between using that and using, say, Facebook groups to build a community? I would imagine Circle.so lets you do it on your own domain name? Yes. So if you go to neilshafer.com slash membership, you'll, you'll sort of be able to see, uh, well, you can't log in unless you're a paid member. But first of all, it's not Facebook. There are you know, whether it's 10% or 20% or 30% of the public, there are people who are not going to go in your community if it's only on Facebook. This is a fact today. It differs by country, differs by demographic. Number two, Facebook is a very, uh, you know, I don't know how many people say Facebook is beautiful. I know a lot of people say Facebook is ugly because of the conversations that go on there. And it, it leads to this environment in Facebook, in Facebook groups that may not be the most ideal. They may not be purely focused on what the community is about because they just came from an argument about politics or, you know, who knows? Um, so that's number two. Number three is that Facebook makes it very hard to uh, to basically discover information in the community. It's, it's basically this discussion board, right? But Circle.us is really good. It's almost like Slack where you have these organized channels. So for instance, you know, on, on my group, we have an organized channel for podcasting. If you go there, you're going to see everything that we've talked about vis-a-vis -vis podcasting. And I know that with a Facebook group, there are ways of doing it with notes and what have you. It's not as intuitive as it is with a circle.so. And because you're on another platform, I think people feel a lot safer. Um, they feel, you know, I, I think you get more of a community feeling because you are in another place. So, you know, there's other sort of bells and whistles that they have to allow people to subscribe to different spaces, just like on Slack, you're you're not part of every channel, but you choose the channels you wanna become part of or be invited to. So I, I believe it just allows for more compelling networking, education, and at the end of the day, community. And a lot of people have launched uh, communities there recently. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely check them out if that sounds interesting to you or your company. Well, you're showing me up here because yet another platform that I haven't tried yet. So I've got to <laughs> give that one a go. Hey, hey, David, I used to run a conference called the Social Tools Summit, all about marketing technology for social media. So I've worked with a lot of tools in the past. I've, I've worked for a fair amount, but not as many as you by the sound <laughs> of it. Yes, <laughs> you certainly beat me in that one. Uh, we'll move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions, just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. So use it wisely. Are you ready? I'm ready. TikTok or Twitter? Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. YouTube or podcast? YouTube. Traffic or leads? Leads. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Ads or influencers? Influencers. Google ads or Facebook ads? Both. Email marketing or chat marketing? Email marketing. Martech stack or all-in-one platform? 
Martech stack. And one-to-one -one or scale? Scale. That was disappointing. That was probably the fastest round ever. And uh, I don't think there was one answer that uh, challenged you at all. Did, did you not have to think about one of them at all? Well, the one, you know, podcasting YouTube, that's another one that I wanted to say both on. But I had a feeling you were going to try to trick me later. So I went with YouTube. <laughs> search volume. <laughs> okay. So, uh, sorry, remind me, which one did you go for, podcasting or YouTube? I went for YouTube. Although I'm a podcaster and, and I'm, mm. I'm trying to do more with YouTube. But uh, yeah. So are you getting more success at the moment from podcasting, but have a better feeling with regards to the future of YouTube? Well, YouTube has always been huge. And uh, it's just something that I've never strategically invested in for, you know, for a variety of reasons. But it's mm. something that I definitely want to do more with. And uh, just starting, you know, I'm actually starting my, my strategy now to really build up my channel and get more content going. But podcasting has been great. And podcasting has led to business. Um, multiple clients. In fact, a lot of the members of my community say they joined it because of my podcast. So podcast mm. really builds this unique connection with people. Just today on Instagram, hey, you know, I listen to your podcast, such great information, keep going. Um, it, it works in hidden ways. It's sort of like people are on Twitter, Neil, you only got one like for that tweet. Why you tweet so much? It's like, dude, you don't see the clicks I'm getting. It's hidden mm. engagement, right? LinkedIn as well. You don't see clicks when, when you look on public posts and social media. And it's the same sort of like hidden power podcast. You don't necessarily see it, but it's out there and people are thinking of you. And when you give them the opportunity through a call to action to engage with you, you get incredible power from it. And I do believe that YouTube, you know, I, I think that um, people listen to podcasts for one reason, people do searches on YouTube for another reason. And I just wanna be able to fit every channel, every medium, with the type of content that they're looking for. And I believe that a lot of people are looking for how-tos. They're looking for tips on YouTube. And, and that's, I mean, I built my brand on that. So it's just a matter of mm -hmm. repurposing my thoughts into something more engaging using video on YouTube. And that's sort of part of the plan. I should have done a lot more with YouTube as well. I published my first YouTube video in 2007, which wow. seems like a, you know an eon ago nowadays. I even had one video. I, I uploaded a seminar of me kind of teaching a digital marketing program and I managed to rank number one for digital marketing for at least two years on, wow. on YouTube and I got about 200,000 views for that video and maybe 6,000 subscribers to a channel but I still did nothing with it you know I just left it with that one video and didn't have an ongoing strategy but now I do now I'm going to have regular videos published in this channel yeah you, you, know, you heard me say it I have done nothing. I have 447 subscribers. I'm looking at my channel right now. I have one video, mm. how to blog on the LinkedIn publishing platform that has 39,000 views. So I'm with you. It is a, it's a very magical place. It has its own algorithm, but I believe that you can sort of build this, this community there and get your name out there. And at the end of the day, you know, what I tell businesses, right? Well, if you want to increase your search engine rankings, you got to show up. You got to have content, right? Why are all these companies that you're better than, why are they ranking higher than you? And I, I think of the same with podcasts. I see the same with YouTube. Why are all these people, you know, getting all these subscribers when I think I can create content that's better than them? So if you think that way, you got a blog, you got a podcast, you got a YouTube. I started with blogging 2008, podcast 2013, and hopefully 2021 is the year I say I started with YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, if you know you can produce better content, be consistent and keep on being consistent. And if you're consistent, then eventually you'll get there. Amen, brother.
<laughs> Let's move on to the $10,000 question. Uh, if I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? I would hire a writer to help me write my next book. And uh, I, I'm in the process of, of writing it. I'm actually coming out with a free preview ebook of it. Um, before I write the entire book, I want to get feedback, you know, using the ebook. But, you know, for me, I am a fractional CMO, which is a, a type of marketing consultant. I'm also, you know, a speaker and an author. And part of why companies want to work with me is because they view me as a thought leader. That's why they want to hire me to speak and what have you. So um, I have my own take on digital marketing. This next book is intended to be a post-pandemic digital marketing playbook. And just like with influencer marketing, I, I, I view SEO differently. I view blogging differently. I view email marketing differently. And I want to get these thoughts out to the world. And I think it will have tremendous impact. When you have a book, for those of you that want to write a book, let me know. I can give you some advice. But, you know, when you have a book, it it makes it, it it's something that people can talk about, right? It incites word of mouth. People with products incite word of mouth for the fact that they have people that buy those products. And I never have my own, my only products are my books. So it, it's why I launched a community, right? That becomes a product that can incite word of mouth. Um, but a book does as well. And, you know, I recorded a podcast uh, about six months ago of why I invested time in being interviewed on 100 different podcasts, right? So when I launched my book, The Age of Influence last year, I wanted to reach out to all these podcast hosts and appear on podcasts that I thought was really relevant to the message of the book. And that got me out into the ears of tens of thousands, hundreds, of, maybe millions of people through the art of doing that. It's really unparalleled if you think about it. So mm. um, the book, and then obviously, you know, a CEO buys the book, says, hey, we need to bring this guy in our company. And that's led to my biggest client uh, of 2020 and continuing into 2021. So yeah, that $10,000 spent on just getting the book up and going. And I don't know if it, if it would get to completion with $10,000, but it would certainly accelerate it and get me closer to that nirvana that I know comes when I have that next book out in the market. So are you talking about using a ghostwriter? And if so, would you have concerns about someone capturing your own tone of voice? Great question. So I, very early on in my career, I was invited to a nonprofit. It was like a CEO roundtable nonprofit. And uh, the former CEO Breville was a friend that I had met networking. And he's like, Neil, you should talk about LinkedIn. I just, I've written, you know, two books on LinkedIn. So I was there talking about LinkedIn. And there was a VP of marketing from a very, very well-known brand there. And uh, my friend said, hey, you should check out, you know, this guy's blog. Let me know what you think. So after the event, great event, right? You know, we're in Chinatown eating dinner. He goes, hey, what do you think about my friend's blog? And the blog, the, the VP of marketing was another speaker. I said, I thought it was really, it was really, you know, thought provoking, thought leading. I thought it was great. He goes, he did not write one word of that. It was all written by his staff or maybe their agency. And this is the fact, right? When companies write, you know, when you're a blogger, when I'm trying to compete against HubSpot, I'm not competing against someone in HubSpot that's writing the blog. I'm competing about whatever marketing machine that they've hired to do all the writing for them. So what's important though is that HubSpot's perspective and their thoughts get included in that article. So I think a lot of people think that ghostwriting is just handing over the keys of the kingdom and having someone 100% write what you do. When I'm talking about ghostwriting, it's similar to how you might hire a blog writing service, or you might have an outside agency that works on your blog content. You're always gonna tell them what you want them to write about. You're always gonna tell them what are the key points you want to be brought up. 
including those things that are really relevant to your product or service. And when you get the content back, you're always going to be revoicing it. I hope you are. Mm -hmm. This is a process that I use on my own blog and, and my clients use, right? The same goes with a book, right? You're always going to be, you're always in charge. You're just finding a writer that can help you better flesh out the content. Um, I think, you know, I went to an author conference many moons ago. I forgot what the number was. 60% of best-selling books are ghostwritten. I, I forgot what it was. But even if people are not using ghostwriters, they're using what they call developmental editors, which in mm. some cases is quasi-ghostwriting, right? They're going deep in your content. They might be fleshing some out. They may be saying, hey, you may want to develop more content here. A really good ghostwriter is going to give you a combination of those things. But at the end of the day, they are they, they have to be your thoughts your perspective, your voice. And so it can't be anybody. You got to find the right person. But if you if you're currently outsourcing some of your content creation like blog writing, it's really an extension of that if you can visualize that. And yes, anybody can, everybody should write a book. I'm a big fan of encouraging <laughs> everyone I meet to write that book if they have it in them and there's something they want to say. What I'm not saying is I have no idea how podcasting works. I want to make money to be seen like, or I don't know how Clubhouse works, but I want to be seen as a Clubhouse influencer. I'm just going to hire a ghostwriter, just like write the book for me and sit back and make millions. That That's not what I'm talking about here, right? Mm. You have to be an expert sure. in it. Yeah. You have to be able to, because what's going to happen is after people buy the book, you're going to get questions. You're going to get interviewed. How are you going to respond to that if it's not your voice, if it's not your, your ideas and thoughts? Yeah. Great advice. The last book I wrote uh, called Marketing Now, I figured out that the average book is about 60,000 words in length. And I also figured out that if I did an eight hour live stream, then I'd be able to get roughly 60,000 words of transcript from that. Um, So I did a massive live stream, had 134 marketers on there, had it transcribed, of course, figured out that actually people don't um, share the same knowledge uh, in the same way verbally as they actually do in written form. So I had to completely rewrite everything and took just as long writing that book as I would have actually started just from writing the book to begin with. But it was a good learning experience and perhaps I could do it in a similar way, but use some kind of ghostwriter to take the transcripts and turn it into a proper book if I dare to do it again. Yes, this is what, uh, for those of you who follow Pat Flynn, he publicly said he did that. I have done that in previous books where I've created a PowerPoint presentation, just like your live stream, for a chapter, and then send the video over. So instead of working from a transcript, have a writer work from the actual video and develop and develop the chapter out of that. So um, yes. you're not, it's not, I, I think ghostwriting, it's, it sounds like an evil word. It's not authentic, what have you. It's just an assistant that's really good at writing, that's really going to help your thoughts be even stronger on paper is really a good way to think about it. I think I, I I think only the positive of it, but it has to start with your live stream, your transcript, your PowerPoint, whatever it is. Um, but get some help. It's going to go a lot faster. And that's why for me, the $10,000 invested there, that's a no-brainer. Oh, very well rounded back. Circle squared and uh, back to the original topic. How come every single topic you bring up, Neil, I want to have a half-hour conversation about it? <laughs> Maybe Look. we shall, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> to finish off, let's um, shift the focus to someone else who deserves it, and that is a magical marketer. So who's an up-and-coming marketer that you'd like to give a shout-out to? What can we learn from them, and where can we find them? So, well, you know, I don't necessarily think she is up-and-coming because she has a book that's been published. But I recently interviewed her. She spoke at my Social Tools Summit back in, I want to say, 2015. She was a community manager at Microsoft. And she has worked her way up to becoming one of Microsoft's key influencers. 
And she recently, actually the, the same month that my book came out in March of 2020, she wrote a book called Brand Storytelling, Putting Customers at the Heart of Your Brand Story. And I know that, you know, we have Donald Miller, um, you know, the storytelling brand, what have you. There, there's just, it, it's a buzzword that we hear a lot about. Her take on it is just very different. And it's really about leveraging your employees to tell your brand story, to become storytellers. And it, it's it's compelling on uh, in a lot of different ways, but but I think that she is truly. Um, if you want to get a a preview, I have two different podcasts, but I interviewed her for the School of Influence podcast, which just came out two days ago, and you can hear the the, the interview with her. Um, but just her her experience, you know, within Microsoft from that community manager and really leveraging uh, the outside voice to now within Microsoft leveraging inside voice and getting the executive team to take storytelling seriously. Um, makes for some really, really compelling. And, you know, so th these are things, you know, community managers, social media, employee advocacy, storytelling. She weaves together a lot of these elements in a really, really compelling and insightful way that I think a marketer is going to get some light bulb moments reading it. So definitely the name of the book, as I said, Brand Storytelling, put Customers, the Heart of Your Brand Story, Miri Rodriguez. Uh, she is a shining light. She should be better known. And if you ever have a chance to meet her, if you listen to the podcast, she is one of the sweetest souls you will ever meet in marketing. Sorry, that was Mary Rodriguez, wasn't Mary it? Mary Rodriguez, M-I-R-I. -I, uh, MaryRod.com. Go check her out, please. Wonderful stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure I will do, and I'm sure many people will do as well. Well, um, this was episode 242 of Digital Marketing Radio, where Neil Schaefer shared so much. Um, specific tips included get carol.com find your brand influencers uh, we talked about things like actually affiliate marketing as a form of um, brand influencers as well um, we also talked about employees perhaps being um, your own brand influencers the importance of using nano influencers as well, as well. don't go after people with a hundred thousand um followers necessarily perhaps the people that you're looking for um, are the nano ones with about a thousand uh, followers on the various platforms um, you shared phrase.io as your secret software and you also mentioned clearscope uh, as your next on the list um, you talked about group coaching uh, group coaching community circle.so as uh, the the website that you um, uh, told people to try it out uh, instead of using Facebook groups. You also mentioned Teachable is something that you're going to try out as well. Um, brand Storytelling by Miri Rodriguez is your um, magical marketer. Um, Miri is the magical marketer. Brand Storytelling is the book. Everything Neil mentioned in today's show and more will be listed in the description below the video on YouTube and in the podcast show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. Neil, what's the best uh, social platform for, for someone to follow you and say hi? Well, I'm everywhere on social media. Neil Schaefer, the real Neil, N-E-A-L. Well, if you're watching the video, you can see how my name is spelled. So, you know, every, I mean, every day I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. If you send me a Pinterest message, I might not see it because I don't go in there as often, but any of those networks and obviously neilschaefer.com is where you can be in direct touch with me. Absolutely superb stuff. Um, well, I've been your host, David Bain. You can also find me producing podcasts for B2B brands over at castingcred.com. Please remember, wherever you're tuning in, feedback is fantabulous. Until we meet again, stay hungry, stay foolish, and stay subscribed. Aloha. Digital Marketing Radio. Digital Marketing Radio. Digital Marketing Radio.